Hello and welcome to the BBC R&D Human Values podcast. A lot has happened since our previous podcast series and now we want to interview a few key people that have been on this journey with us as we find these cases and explore how the human values framework can be used alongside other existing frameworks. We hope you enjoy this podcast series and please get in touch with us if anything you hear catches your interest. We can be contacted on humanvalues.io. Here's Ian Forrester from BBC R&D, who will be your host. Thank you, Marisa. And we will start the interview with an introduction by the guests. My name is Brian Suda, and I am a software developer. And I do a lot of programming. I have a small company who does consulting around projects, prototypes, and ideas. And I have a small survey company, which we do a lot of psychometric surveying in Iceland uh, for the compulsory schools for staff, parents, and teachers. Great. Thank you, Brian. Um, so um, I kind of wanted you to have a think about before um, you learn anything about human values, um, I'm kind of interested in um, your interest in kind of this notion of of values um you know i wouldn't say human values for now but just kind of the values and like uh a deeper metrics and stuff like that um where did that come from is that from a personal interest or was that a business interest or was it a bit of both certainly a bit of both um, we've been doing surveys in compulsory schools in iceland since about 2008 so we've got 13 to 14 years worth of data and all of the questions have been psychometric related. We always consider ourselves sort of the flip, flip slide to the report card. A report card gives you academic progress and reading and mathematics. And we were trying to give school the report card on the much more softer side of things, bullying, anxiety, depression. So we've been looking into psychometrics for a long time. And when the human values came out with this sort of core set of uh, psychometric values, it really gave us an opportunity to kind of regroup and look at what we've been asking and how much of that is there an overlap between some of the items and scales uh, in the human value. And I have to I have to ask, um, although we know, but uh, if what would you class as psychometric? The types of questions we ask are kind of broken down into three categories. It is sort of student-teacher relationships, it is interpersonal relationships, and let me, I can't remember the third category. But the psychometrics are, they're sort of the softer side of things. It, like I said, it's, it's depression, it's anxiety, bullying. It's a lot of self-awareness, uh, internal and external, as opposed to sort of academic progress. And I think that's, it's interesting because this is now, it's, it's interesting you made the, the, the notion that it's a soft, um, soft questions, but now we're realizing that um these these are like really really important um and it seems uh, well it's a cry and shame that we were not asking these questions um ahead of time because they they make such a difference to the way people feel about themselves and how they work and how they they kind of operate through through life so yeah absolutely i mean we've seen both empirical evidence that you know, maybe as a sixth grade student, you might have a really bad experience or your class might have, you know, problems with bullying. 
And that ripples through the year after, the year after, the year after, and sort of stays with that cohort for, for a very long time. So it's important that, like you were saying, some of these things, they do affect us very long term. It's not like, oh, I'm feeling bad this month, I'll be better later. But uh, it is something that is, is carried through. And we see that uh, with our surveys. One of the questions I was going to ask about about the um, about your testing is that were you getting much? Well, obviously the school systems are using it, but um, were you getting much traction from from it? So, for example, were they looking at it as oh this is nice, or were they looking at it and going oh this is really important? And or the other question I was going to add on top of that was has that changed over time? Yes, I, oh, okay, we'll try and break these into a couple of questions here. The, the schools when they started were legally obligated to have some sort of external or to have some sort of self-evaluation. So we came in and it was our goal to sort of tick all those boxes and make sure uh, that they could fill out this report for the municipalities and, and for the government. Uh, and then over time, the value really started to show in a few sort of specific incidences. And it's turned out to be a tool that it's not only nice to have, but it is something you can fall back to uh, with sort of very quantitative and qualitative analyses rather than sort of hearsay. Uh, two examples we had, um, one of them, there was a school and there was unfortunate case of bullying and the news media picked it up and they wanted to make a witch hunt out of this. And they wanted to talk about how horrible this school is. There was a bullying problem, blah, 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 blah. And the school said, hang on a sec. We've been using this self-evaluation tool for several years. We know what our average you know, bullying situation is in each grade for gender, all these breakdowns. And we know how we compare to the general population. And through empirical evidence, they could show this is a sad case that there is bullying, but we are not a horrible school that is uh, where bullying is, is rampant, which the news media potentially wanted to turn this into. And the problem disappeared overnight and they could then go through and actually take on some sort of initiative to uh, deal with specific cases. Uh, also in 2008, Iceland had a, a massive financial collapse. And of course, when there's a financial collapse, everyone tightens the, tightens the purse strings and there was a school that had a half sort of half finished gymnasium. And obviously the school said, sports isn't important. We're gonna postpone that. We don't have any money. And we could see through our trend line year after year, there was a massive drop in students' uh, enjoyment of sports and some of their other psychometric uh, anxiety, depression, these types of things. So they were able to show this data and take it to the municipality to get additional funding to finish the construction on the gymnasium. And then hopefully that would keep the curve from dipping even lower. And then as the generations came through, it could go back to what it used to be. So as a tool, uh, people picked it up and then it became sort of an essential part of the way the schools you know, operate and how they can get their feedback. Right, these are, these are great examples. And I think mean, these are the kind of, um, the things that we're kind of also hoping for for the human values. Uh, hopefully, we don't have it get to a point where there is a financial crash to uh, for this to happen. But I think that there's that notion of like 
these things are really important and we just hadn't been looking at them um until something happens or something some, something starts to go in a certain direction then we start looking at it a little bit more with a lot more detail so yeah, um, and usually when people start to look at things it's too late because they don't have the sort of before and after data whereas if you were like we offer the, the survey tool and it's very minimal very very low investment in time and effort and money. And because of that, they get a little monthly pulse of how the school is going. And then uh, it kind of runs in the background. So when there is a problem, they already have lots and lots of historical data to see where things were and the trend, rather than being like, oh, we have a problem, let's fix it. Okay, well, what was the situation before the problem? And that's, that's just as important. That's yeah. That's that's a that's a really good point. Yeah. Um. So I guess you know. So your obviously you didn't come to the workshops, but uh, you did talk on our our previous podcasts. Um. So I guess I, I kind of I'm asking you to have a think about was it the first time you encountered human values, um, and then what you instantly thought, um, how you thought it was, you know, how it could relate. And I know that, um, especially with the recordings that we did, um, we talked a lot about psychometrics and, um, and you wanted to definitely talk a lot more about that. Uh, we had to cut some parts of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, before, before working on the project more, more deeply, I was obviously aware of psychometrics, but I think the human values framework really puts it, I wouldn't say bullet points, but the categories that it creates are much more well-defined and much more, I guess, more actionable. You know, things like uh, belonging to a group. It is a psychometric construct that has steps that we can improve both our tool and other people can improve their situations to increase belonging to a group. It is sort of a flag that someone can put in the ground and we can, we can aim for, rather than having some sort of nebulous cloud of improved psychometrics, improved well-being. Uh, it's a little more, what well, is more concrete uh, and it, it makes it much easier to implement things. Do you, do you think that the, the language is really important? Because um, I know that also, you know, Leah did a lot of work um, around linguistics around that and um you were pointed that about a nebulous kind of clouds and stuff and kind of quite um these different terms that are kind of quite a little bit more actionable um mm -hmm. do you think that you will take some of that stuff forward in what you're doing definitely um i was thinking about this even uh, sort of beforehand we we understood a lot of the psychometrics. And we were always thinking about that, not necessarily from our customer point of view, but from the individuals who were being surveyed. You know, we wanted to improve their situation, their safety, their well-being. Uh, and now, since we've been doing more with the, the Human Values website and project, we've been taking a step back and thinking about that, sort of this framework for our direct customers, not the actual people who are taking the survey, but the people who that we're conducting the survey on behalf of. And one of the things that we've been looking at most recently is this having autonomy. And 
this is this is an interesting one, I think, for us mostly, and it's probably it's a tricky one, I think, for a lot of people because having autonomy can sort of mean two things. It can mean I now can push a lot of work onto my customers, which I used to do, and now they're more autonomous and they can do more self-service. I mean, the the local grocery store now used to have two or three checkouts and I would go to the lady and they would ring up my stuff and I'd be bagging it up. And now everyone's moved to self-checkouts. So you ring up your own stuff and you put it on the scale and you put it on the other scale and you run the barcode. So you can argue, hey, you've got more autonomy. You can do things yourself. But in reality, that's a cost-saving measure because now they don't have to employ three people to run the tills. So we've had to really make sure that having autonomy when we're implementing things is more self-service for the customer, but it is the end goal is so they can better understand the product. They can better understand how survey tools work. They can better understand the universe of people who are taking the surveys rather than just throwing a list over the fence to us and we doing all the hard work. So I think having autonomy, we're, we're walking that fine line at the moment where we don't want to just do self-service. We want to educate our customers and have them be more autonomous. But that's it's quite a difficult task. So you make some really good points there. And um, I think especially it's, it's great that you've taken um, even just one of the, the values and started to rethink that, especially in your business. Um, is there any others that you're kind of thinking, that sounds interesting, I would like to explore that with some more detail or is there anything that kind of sticks out that you're like, oh, actually we, we also were using, think about using this as well. Um, no, I think from a product standpoint, we're always trying to take small chunks and how can we improve this part of the process? How can we improve this part of the process? Also for us, um, we are dealing with sensitive data uh, and we're doing our absolute best to disconnect that from personal data. Uh, part of that is so we can be fully GDPR compliant. And in doing so, we are also pushing some of that work onto our customers. So rather than being in a dodgy gray area where our customers send us over email, a list of people's names and phone numbers and contact information, which is personal information, which is a no-no with GDPR, we, are, we have taken the decision to streamline our actions to make ourselves more GDPR compliant, make sure the schools aren't making any mistakes in throwing personal data around willy-nilly uh, you know, in, in emails and other tools. And at the same time, we're showing them and trying to teach them that this is a, a multi-step thing and they review their universe of people and we are finding errors and, and cleaning the data. And there's a lot of steps to this. And that, that was a sort of a, a business choice uh, for, for several reasons. And as we're doing that, we're trying to keep it so that the customer has more autonomy. They are able to answer their own questions. Uh, they don't need to feel like we are the masters of the data and they can only answer to us from nine to five when we choose to reply to their emails. We're trying to empower them to have the autonomy to find the answers, to do these things when it suits them. Yeah, we kind of, you start touching on the some of the, the real thorny issues around 
this this uh this data and as you said i i like the distinction between personal and sensitive um and i we could have a whole discussion about just about that but i want to make sure that we stick to uh to the human values in particular um so i know um one of the things that we're looking at doing is um we're looking to have an online assessment um uh, so the idea right now is that you'd be able to go through um somewhat of a psychometric um test um and you'd be able to kind of like get some kind of score at the end of it um maybe some badge um as you as you know um but then also if you wanted to go into more detail then you would have to attend a half day assessment or some kind of workshop do you think that would be useful to yourself and and would it be useful to other people that you know? Yes, I think that sort of thing is where we've always wanted to take all of our products. Um, it connects, it can, I mean, one of the other bullet points in human values is connecting with others. And we've always kind of taken that and it hasn't been super successful, but if you are an organization and you are struggling with a particular aspect, we can try and either recommend ways to improve that like oh you've got anxiety issues in your in your school or in your classroom here are some resources or some tools uh, to help uh, mitigate those problems and again that some of that comes back to autonomy um, but then there's always liability like you know we're not the experts in discussing depression and anxiety we're the experts in data analysis collecting tools psychometrics so we've always tried to either partner up with or you know, refer uh, our customers to, to help get that, the help that they need. But that connecting with others could be one of those issues or could be one of those ways that you can create a forum for like-minded organizations who are excelling at this and other people can go and ask them like, how do you, how do, you do it? You know, why is, why are your students and teachers have such you know, a great relationship? We can, we can learn from each other that way. Um, and we've we definitely tried these things a few times. Iceland is a very small community, and you could just pick up the phone. So uh, that never quite took off for us. Uh, but I think everyone likes that idea. We have meetings twice a year, and you know these types of things come up. So I think some sort of forum for a workshop or for people to discuss these things is definitely useful. It's really interesting you say that because. Um when i've asked people about the workshop um one of the things that they found really um useful was to because we mixed the the different um types of businesses so we had designers next to developers and it was really interesting to they all found it interesting to hear what others were you know how they were doing things and how they saw it um and they they def definitely liked the ability to to learn from each other um so it definitely seems like some kind of like forum or somewhere or some way of kind of talking about you know this is how we're implemented it um and learning from that is something that people seem very keen on so, so yeah. it's really really good that you said that as well so yeah i mean um, it used to be organizations like you know the buddy system you know new employees are always teamed up with a with a employee who's been there for a while to show them around. 
And these sort of things, you could just scale that up to, you know, I'm new at this. I'm just getting into psychometrics. Oh, here, I'm an organization who's done it loads of times. Let me, you know, work you through. Let me show you what's going on. Yeah, I think especially, I mean, especially when it comes to psychometrics is, um, you know, obviously someone like yourself, you know, be doing it for so long um, and have, you know, these stories that you're just kind of like, well, this is what happened. This is when it was very, very useful. You know, it's always useful, but it, you know, here's a case where, and I think for a lot of companies and organizations that they're kind of like, oh, we've heard about these things, but we don't really see the point yet. Um, so, you know, having you there kind of going, hey, we've been doing it for ages and here's a case where we had to use it and to be able to just roll that out. It's kind of like, suddenly makes people realize oh okay i can see that kind of thing happening in in my line of business or in my organization or something like that so yeah we we've we've had some pushback as well and it's interesting because a lot of the human values is obviously trying to improve yourself improve you know, the community, improve the organization, always trying to move things to a, a, be- a better place. There is some sort of end goal, which we will all be happier, less stressed, and just better humans. Uh, but sometimes those incentives run counter- contradictory to other organizations' business models. And we have had problems, not major problems, but when, when we started doing staff surveys, uh, teachers would report, you know, their workload, their stress levels, all these types of things, you know, enjoyment of the job. And if you are in a union, like a teacher's union, the pay is defined not necessarily by years of experience, but by age. And that is just how that particular union has decided to, to do their, their buckets. So what it means is it's not incentivizing that 23 year old who might've just graduated university with a teaching degree, who jumps into the first job, who has almost zero uh, experience or, or sort of back catalog of work, you know, or, or curriculum that they can lean on. And so they're paid horrible, they've got student loans and they do all this extra work and they do whatever 37 and a half hour work week. And then at the other end, you've got people who might be in their sixties who might also still only have one year experience, but because of their age, they are paid more and work less and get more holidays. So sometimes the incentives don't necessarily line up with the human value incentives. Uh, So there's sometimes a clash uh, in that. And that's that's not our problem necessarily. Uh, I mean, it's our problem in the sense that we're trying to sell these products, but I think that certain organizations will be very interested in human values and improving their workplace, but there will be other organizations or unions within that organization who have different incentives and they will be misaligned and that will or does cause a lot of friction. Do you have a, that's a really unfair question. (laughs) Do you have like a, a kind of um, a solution? uh, That's a really unfair solution to, to that kind of misalignment of incentives. I mean, like, it may be just that kind of like spelling it out, you know, that could be the start of something uh, rather than 
we're going to wave a magic wand and, and fix it, you know? Yeah, and I think some of it, I mean, I don't know if it's greed or, uh, I don't know exactly what, which emotion it would be, but if you look at the US right now, they are debating about canceling student debt. And all these people in their 30s and 40s and 50s are like, hey, but I had a huge student debt and it took me forever to pay it off. Therefore, these 20 year olds should do the same thing as me. And if, I don't know, maybe it's, like I said, I don't know if it's greed or just envy, but they're not, they're not happy about that. So there will always be this previous generation who doesn't like a situation. So there's going to have to be some hard line in the sand. Uh, and then once, you know, that'll age out and, and move on. But I think that is, you know, the way you're going to have to do it in some cases, just rip that bandaid off as fast as you can, fix the problem. Some people will be happy. Some people will be mad, but you hope that in the long run, it was the correct decision. I do know that I think some countries, I think it's Finland, uh, the, the pay scale for teachers must be defined somehow by the government. And the first few years of teaching, you, your, your salary increases a lot, really fast. And that's because you'd have to pay off student loans, you, you know, might be starting a family, an apartment or a house you purchased. But then after a few years, You've settled into your routine of teaching. You've got your curriculum. You've got you know your your classroom schedule that you've kind of improved year after year after year. Then your salary starts to plateau, and at that point in time, you've probably found what you've loved. You've paid off the majority of your debt, and you've kind of settled into your rhythm. And then there's that inertia of why should I change jobs and start all over again? I've kind of hit that happy medium. So that's how some countries have have solved, particularly. Education problem of finding new teachers and sort of uh, sort of pay equality and keeping a retention of, of good people. It, it's really interesting. It's, really, it's interesting that these other factors, which are have a massive effect on on um, on all of this, and who sets those um, incentives is really powerful. You know, because obviously depending on which country you're from, then the notion of uh, the government doing it opposed to you know, someone else doing it is kind of like seen very differently. Um, so yeah, but I guess in, in, in Europe, um, you know, uh, I still feel like I'm part of Europe. Um, then, um, then we, the things, things are a lot more kind of like, well, the, the government set this and that seems, that seems fine. And I, I, I'd be interested in, especially, I can imagine Finland um, doing that. Um, I can imagine most of the kind of like Scandinavian, Nordic countries. Um, I don't know how that would work here. I, I'm also interested to in see, like, say, for example, what Joe Biden's done in America, if we did that here, how would, yeah, what would the, the consensus be? It would be interesting as well. So, yeah. Um, and again, I, I don't think any one organization is necessarily evil. They are just looking out for their, their customers' best interests. Uh, and those customers of the best interests aren't necessarily you know, overlapping with, with others. You know, as, a, as a union, you want your employees to be paid absolutely as much as possible. But you obviously have to make some concessions somewhere along the way Otherwise, companies might go out of business and then, then no one has a job and then you're in a worse situation. So I don't think that anyone is necessarily 
evil. It's just, like I said, the, the incentives are misaligned and not always uh, with, with human values. You know, maybe it's, it's money is the most important thing to help pay off debt. Whereas human values, it is, you know, interpersonal relationships, it's creativity, it's autonomy. Those are valued more than the house, the car, the material goods. So. And as we're, as we're finishing, um, is there anything else you wanted to say? Um, because I know that this project, uh, so this, this, this phase of the project, uh, we are planning to write um, a long document uh, I I will be part of that, <laughs> hopefully, um, in July. So is there anything that you kind of, um, anything you would like to say that would be kind of like uh, useful for for the next phase or for the document, anything like that? I think a lot of these psychometric scales are not quick fixes. Um, you can do some quick fixes when you are measuring the wrong thing. Uh, there's been a lot of complaints you know, in the US and I'm sure in the UK as well, that teachers teach to the test. That way students pass their GCSEs or pass their SAT, ACT tests, and then the school might get more funding or look better on paper. And you can, you can solve those problems or like you can attack those in a very, very narrow-minded box to, to improve your metric. But with psychometrics, because they're actually improving the human, they take a long time and it's not a quick fix. We also, we also think a lot about this sort of the marionette puppets where you know one string controls the arm, the other string controls the leg and the head and mouth. And when you pull on one, you're not just moving one part, you know, everything is interconnected. So spending a lot, a lot of time in, you know, improving, you know, safe and well-being is great, but that might pull something else over here in a slightly different direction. So you're always juggling uh, and improving little bits here and there and seeing how they're all, this spider web of uh, psychometrics are all interconnected. Uh, and these things take time uh, and it is, it is never going to be a quick fix. It's interesting you say that because actually one of the things that um, when we spoke to Solana um, from the from Mozilla Internet Health Report, uh, we were kind of drawing up this kind of um, idea of kind of human values. So if you you, you see the donuts diagram, so okay, um, human values in the inside and then on the outside is kind of this societal uh kind of issues um and how they kind of work and how they don't work it was it's, it's that kind of thing that where i think you're right that the you know if you apply this um you can apply this in a certain way but we need to think about the other issues as well and how they interlinked how they interlink so yeah i okay. had just seen uh, earlier this week or last week um the maslow's hierarchy of needs that everyone knows, the, the triangle where the, the bottom is, you know, you need to eat and then you need shelter and then all the way up. And then the little top of the pyramid is sort of self-actualization. And it turns out that Maslow in the, I think in the 1930s had spent a lot of time with the Native American Indians, the Blackfoot Indians, and they had a very similar triangle, but sort of self-actualization for them was at the very bottom. And then above that, it was community 
And then above that, it was long lasting culture. So at the very bottom that everyone needed was just like, you needed to be the best person you could be. And then let's work together to make everybody the best people they can be. And then let's make sure that we have such an awesome culture that it spans generations. That was what they, that was their hierarchy of needs. And Maslow basically ripped that off and made it his own. And no one, no one really knows about the Blackfoot Indian TP model. There's so much I can say about uh, about uh, minorities um, being ripped off, but uh, I'm not going to today. Um, but no, that would be I, I'm going to look into that because that's that's really powerful. I think I I like the idea of you know because I there's a book that I read called Lost Connections, which I can't remember the author's name, and he talks a lot about um, mental health being a community thing and. Yeah, you know, without the community, without that kind of that culture of like uh, care and understanding, then then you know you're always going to be kind of lost, and that causes these kind of like you know some people will fall, fall through the cracks. So it's really yeah. interesting that 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 uh, pyramid is set that way. There was uh, I'll give you a, there was a book recommendation I'll send you as well. There was a guy. I, for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the book, but I, I can dig it up. And he was talking about uh, somewhere in Southeast Asia, there was a man and he got his leg hurt from a landmine explosion and he was deeply depressed. And, and they were trying to figure out sort of Western medicine ways of curing him. And then somebody said, like, I think in their culture, they bought him a goat. And then he had the goat and then he had something to, to you know, he had to get, had a reason. He had to, you know, take care of that goat. He had to you know, feed it. And that gave him, that, that snapped him out of his depression cycle. And it was totally the opposite of what sort of Western medicine would do to try and cure someone who has depression versus what the culture knew that would, what would help. But I'll find the book and I'll send you the, send you the link. I think, I think definitely one of the things we're also looking at is that um, a kind of just a, a list of resources is kind of useful uh, for, for everybody. So yeah, the other book that we uh, you know we shared around the office a few years ago was uh, The End of Average. And it's a great book because everyone thinks about the average, the average person, the average height, the average, you know, time you take to eat, the average calories, whatever it might be, and no one is that average number. And when you start applying average solutions to everybody, you're actually solving the problem for nobody. So a lot of a lot of these psychometrics is very much, uh, you know, that whole marionette spider web where you're pulling on one thing. Each little impact is going to have, or each little intervention might have a different level of impact for each person. So you're always reassessing and always trying new things to try and keep keep that balance both individually and then at the organization and then at the societal level. I would like to thank Brian Suda for his time and his honesty. If you'd like to know more about the human values, then please do join us at humanvalues.io and please visit bbc.co.uk slash rd for more exciting projects, services and technologies. You've been listening to 2LO Rebooted from BBC Research and Development, telling the stories of BBC's technology and product groups.